Good morning, everybody. Hey, it is so great uh, to be back with you all this morning. And while I have not been here uh, physically over the last few weeks, I have definitely been with you all in spirit uh, during what's been an historic process for us as a church community. Um, and I have to echo what Esther said just a moment ago, that all along the way, you know, from my very first conversations with Lisa about a year ago, to my conversations with the Shepherds team back in January, to the formation of the search team, uh, to our experience with the search agency, to the final candidate and Highway's new lead pastor, Adam Hendricks, I am just in awe of God's presence and his goodness and his faithfulness and his provision every step along the way. And I am so excited for all that God has for Highway uh, as we enter more fully into volume two. I had a chance to meet uh, Adam this last week, and I don't know if you know this, but Adam literally lives one block from my house. He lives literally one street over from our house. I mean, what are the chances of that? His kids go to the same elementary school that ours went to. And it's funny, my, my brother Tim was out for the last couple of weeks visiting from Indiana because we were celebrating our mom's 90th birthday last Sunday. And, uh, and one day, my brother and I were leaving to run a quick errand, and we went out in front of the house and got in the car and made a U-turn, and I looked to the left two houses down, and there was Adam walking down the street on a walk. And I, told, I said to my brother, I said, that's him. <laughs> and uh, it was so great. I mean, had we come out of the house 90 seconds later, we would have literally bumped into one another. But uh, yeah, totally amazing. Uh, last week, I was uh, meeting with someone who's, who's known Adam for some time. And, and just made the connection between Adam and me and Highway. So this is someone that both of us have known in different contexts and now realizes that they're a mutual, that they're a mutual friend. And as I think has been pretty consistent uh, throughout the search process, uh, this person had nothing but wonderful things to say about Adam, starting with, Adam is special. Uh, and that makes me very, very happy and very grateful because that's exactly what this community deserves. And I am excited for all of the ways that you all are going to get to experience that in the days and the weeks and the months and the years, hopefully, ahead. Well, this morning, uh, we're beginning a new four-week teaching series, which is actually going to be my farewell series. And uh, I've thought about what this series might look like quite a bit over the past few months. And as you might imagine, there's a lot that I could say after 30 years. But ultimately, I landed on this series that I've decided to call Passages, which over the next four Sundays will showcase passages from Scripture that have shaped and continue to shape my formation journey over the years. And each one of these passages uh, will highlight something that I think is foundational to God's ongoing process of shaping our hearts after his own. And my prayer is that what emerges from each one of these texts might be as sticky and as transformational for you uh, as it has been for me. And we're going to start this morning with a passage from the book of Acts that I guess I'll say I discovered about 10 years ago, and uh, that has stuck with me ever since. And so if you'd like to join me in the scriptures this morning, you're welcome to turn or tap your way to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and, and as always, uh, the words to the text will be projected on the screens behind me here and also in the courtyard, so you're welcome to follow along there as well. Acts chapter 20. Now, the book of Acts is a continuation, remember, of the Gospel of Luke and tells the story of Jesus' followers as they are given the power of God's Spirit and are tasked with spreading the good news of 
the kingdom throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we pick up the action here in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is on the third of the three missionary journeys that are chronicled in the book. And more specifically, he has just left Ephesus after a silversmith named Demetrius started a riot in the city because of the success of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry was so successful in Ephesus that it was adversely affecting Demetrius's business of building silver shrines to the goddess Artemis. And so after this riot, Paul decided wisely to leave and set out for Macedonia and visit the churches that he had started. And his ultimate plan, according to Acts chapter 19, verse 21, was to visit Rome before returning to Jerusalem. But as Paul was on his way to Syria, eventually on his way to Rome, he found out about a plot against his life, uh, which understandably altered his travel plans. Paul made a quick, you know, purchase of a want-to-get-away fare and uh, started in a different direction. And he decided to go back to Macedonia and eventually ended up in the city of Troas. And that's the context as we pick up the action here in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says this, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. You know, it's interesting, uh, this story happens to be the very first reference that we have in the scriptures to believers meeting on the first day of the week. And it's also one of the first glimpses that we get into a first century church gathering. And Luke's description for us here very much mirrors that description that he gave us of the first church community back in Acts chapter 2. That community that Luke says devoted itself to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we've essentially got all of those things happening here at this church in Troas, which Luke tells us is meeting in this well-lit third-story room. And verse 9 says that one of the people who was there that night was a young man named Eutychus. And as Paul preached and preached and preached and preached, right, Luke really, I think we all heard, throws him under the bus here as he tells this story, talking about how Paul went on and on and on until midnight. Eutychus, after doing his best all along the way to fight it, finally nods off. And then Luke tells us he falls out the window, down three stories, and dies. Now, believe it or not, there's actually been a lot of debate among interpreters as to whether or not Eutychus was actually dead based on Paul's response in verse 10. Right? Acts chapter 20, verse 10 says that Paul hurried down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him and said, don't be alarmed, he's alive. Right? And as we listen to that verse again, as we look at it a little bit more closely, I think we could definitely understand how Paul's words there, don't be alarmed, he's alive, might feel like he had hurried down to the street 
found Eutychus, whose name, by the way, means lucky or fortunate, right? They had hurried down the street and found Eutychus alive. And then, on top of that, the way that, Luke's, Luke, the way that Luke narrates this story compounds this curiosity around what happened even more, right? Because after Paul declares that Eutychus is alive, Acts chapter 20, verse 11 says, then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And so Paul performs nothing short of this incredible miracle in verse 10. And then in verse 11, ho-hum, he goes upstairs, eats, and then continues talking until the sun comes up. And so the very matter-of-fact way that Luke tells this story Right, which is completely devoid of any kind of fanfare, certainly seems curious given the magnitude of this miracle that has taken place. However, right, despite all of those things, the Greek word that's used at the end of verse 9 that says that Eutychus was picked up dead after he fell from the third story is a word that very explicitly means dead. And when we add to that, the fact that the person who's telling this story, Luke, was a medical doctor by trade, uh, my instinct is to go with that. And so the question then becomes, why would Luke choose to tell this story in this way? Why would Luke choose to tell this story in this way? I mean, it's not like resurrection stories or a dime a dozen in the scriptures. There's only eight of them. And this is the very last one. So why does Luke tell this story in the way that he does? What, what, what happens here seems so outsized compared with the treatment that Luke gives it. Well, if we zoom out a bit and we consider the broader context of Luke's narrative, I think we get some insight both into the significance of what happens as well as to the way that Paul responds so nonchalantly seemingly in the aftermath. Right? Remember that the focus of Paul's ministry in this section of Acts has been on strengthening these churches that he has started. Paul has been, has been traveling around encouraging the churches in Macedonia. And before that, Acts chapter 18 tells us that Paul was traveling around to strengthen all of the disciples in Caesarea, Jerusalem, Antioch, and through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia. And so Paul was, at this point, was deeply invested in this work of strengthening and encouraging the church. That is what he was all about doing. And now, here in Acts chapter 20, here we are with this vibrant community of believers in Troas that's meeting in this well-lit third-story room. Like, this is not an underground church. This is a group of people meeting in a well-lit third-story room. Paul is there. He's, he's maximizing his time that he has with the people preaching for hours into the night because he's going to go on to the next, next place. And the fact that Eutychus, right, is, is seated in this room in the windowsill gives us a sense for just how crowded this, seat, this room was. That's like the only seats that were left were the ones in the window. Right? People are just packed into this place. And when we imagine that scene, right, we can also imagine how devastating and how discouraging and how demoralizing it would have been to this community, right, for this meeting to suddenly end with someone falling out the window to their death. And the, the, the effect of that would have had 
the effect that that would have had both for everything that had taken place that night through Paul's visit and for the overall health and vibrancy of the church would have just been unimaginable, right? We think, we think the transition that we've been navigating coming out of COVID has been difficult, right? Imagine trying to navigate something like that. And so what Paul does here, right, in the broader context of what he's been up to is anything but trivial, and, and very much in keeping with what he's been doing throughout his third missionary journey, which is also perhaps why Luke tells this story in this way, because the focus is on the church, not so much on the miracle, but on what it does for the church. And so Eutychus's resurrection, it's all about encouraging and sustaining and bolstering this church community in Troas. And as we see in verse 12, the people took the young man home alive and they were greatly comforted. I mean, we can only imagine the strengthening effect that Paul's presence and this miracle had on the church, right? And the way that Luke tells the story really aligns with that focus. Now, as interesting as all of that is, I think the even more interesting question, though, that, that emerges from this passage is, how does this story speak to us today? Right? How might this really strange story from the corner of Acts about a person who falls asleep, falls out of a window, and then is brought back to life speak to us today. What in the world are we supposed to take from this story? Right? Is the moral of the story, don't fall asleep in church? Right? I mean, is this my chance to tell the story about the pastor who was getting annoyed by one of his congregants who was falling asleep during his sermons every Sunday? Right, so the pastor went to the man's grandson who sat with him every week with a proposal. He offered to, to pay the boy a dollar each Sunday for keeping his grandfather awake during his message. And so the boy agreed. And for the next few weeks, everything went swimmingly until one Sunday, the pastor looked out and he found the man was once again sleeping during his message. And so after the service, he went right up to the boy and he said, hey, what happened to our deal? You're supposed to be keeping your grandfather awake. I'm paying you a dollar a week. To which the boy replied, I know, but my grandfather offered me $5 a week not to disturb him while he's sleeping. <laughs> right, but is that really what this story is about? Like the perils of falling asleep in church? Or, or does this story have something to say to us about the importance of staying awake? Right, or the importance of being alert, like Jesus' parable of the 10 virgins? Or, or is this the story uh, that allows me to gratuitously let you all know how thankful you should be that I haven't kept you here until midnight on Sundays for all of these years? Well, I'm sure that you're not going to be surprised when I say that I don't think that the story of Eutychus' experience is ultimately about any of those things. And that's confirmed, I think, when we look at the text. Because when we look at this text, we see that Luke, in all of his restraint in telling the story, does not indict Eutychus in any way, shape, or form. And Luke doesn't say anything negative about Eutychus here. There's no, there's no evidence in the text that suggests that he did anything wrong. Luke simply reports what happened. But what happens if we flip the equation around? I mean, I always have a tendency in stories like this, like, what did the person do wrong? What if we flip it around and ask, what might Eutychus have done right? What might Eutychus have done right? What did he do right in this story that compelled Paul to intercede on his behalf? Woody Allen once said that showing up is 80% of life. 
Showing up is 80% of life. And that is exactly what Eutychus did. Eutychus showed up. I mean, think about it. Here's this vibrant church community. Paul is there. The Apostle Paul is in the house. I mean, this probably the first century equivalent of Taylor Swift showing up in a luxury box at a Chiefs game, right? Paul is there. He's in the house. He's leaving the next day, right? So this is the chance to hear what he has to say to encourage the church, right? And then there's Eutychus. Who knows what Eutychus has been doing all day, but obviously based on what happens in the story, he was tired. But he showed up to this meeting anyways. And God met him there and brought life in this powerful and amazing way. And that experience that Eutychus has here very poignantly reminds us, I think, of something elemental that can be really easy for us to forget. And that is that God works when we show up. God works when we show up. And I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've experienced that very same thing. And one of the most significant memories for me relative to that is when Lynn and I were students at UC Davis and, and a friend invited us to visit University Covenant Church on a Sunday morning. And we had had a hard time connecting with churches our first year at Davis and uh, had, had, had struggled with that. And, and at that point, personally, like I was kind of convinced that this was just going to be a real, real struggle. I kind of been everywhere. I'd seen everything. I really didn't want to go to this church. But I went with a bad attitude, reluctantly, not expecting anything. And, and what I encountered when I did that was a genuine, authentic community uh, led by an individual who would wind up being a mentor, who would significantly reshape my entire perspective on church and church leadership in a way that proved eventually to be one of the reasons I would even consider going into ministry. Right? None of that would have happened had I not showed up. Right? God works when we show up. Uh, then there are the, you know, many, 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 many times through the years when I showed up to my small group after a long day, right, not feeling it, and all the different gifts that I received each time from being with others in community, all the different gifts that I received each time from God's word. Or more recently, uh, participating earlier this year in the practice of reading through the New Testament, You know, in the moments where both life and some family health issues made keeping up with the practice a challenge, right? Experiencing God in those times when I was able to step into the practice, right? So graciously meeting me in the scriptures when I was able to show up, right? God works when we show up. It's such a simple thing, right? But yet oftentimes, sometimes it is so hard to do. And even more so, I feel like, after the experience of the pandemic. And so one question for you this morning is, where might God be inviting you to show up? Where might God be inviting you to show up? Or maybe that looks like connecting with a small group community or finding a place to serve here at Highway with our kids or with our students or with the band or with the technical teams or with coffee. Maybe it's 
a part of being a part of the racial justice group, showing up to conversations that might be uncomfortable, or volunteering with others at Hope's Corner, or delivering meals to our neighbors in Mountain View who are living in their vehicles. Maybe it's showing up to a spiritual practice. But where might God be inviting you to show up? And more importantly, what surprises might he have in store for you as you do that? Like what resurrection might come? Now, Something else, I think, uh, given the context of church and community uh, that I think this passage invites us to consider, especially in this particular moment that we find ourselves in where the return to church has been slow and difficult for so many people, for so many reasons, is who is someone who you might encourage to show up? Who is someone who you might encourage to show up? You know, what we share together here at Highway is something that's truly special and something that's truly unique. How might you be a catalyst? How might you be a host? How might you create space for someone else to be included in this community in some way? It might look like encouraging someone to show up and experience community in the spiritual sense. And have a taste of that very special, irreplaceable thing that comes from worshiping together with others and from learning together with others and serving together with others. It might look like inviting someone to be a part of the blood drive in a couple of weeks. Or maybe it looks like inviting someone to show up and share in, in some other way. Right, to share in one of your interests or to have coffee or lunch or to go for a walk, perhaps with a friend from Highway as well. Right, but who is someone who you might encourage to show up? Because God works when we show up. And my prayer would be that we would always be mindful of who we might include. And what God, we might be mindful of what God can do through that very simple thing of showing up. And so may we show up and experience all of God's redemptive and restorative power as he shapes our hearts after his. We're gonna close this morning by, by sharing together in the practice of communion. And our story this morning uh, is a powerful reminder uh, of the way that Jesus showed up for us. And from his journey from heaven to earth to the purpose and pace of his public ministry on earth to his devotion to his father's mission, Jesus consistently showed up. And most significantly, he showed up to face the cross where he endured shame and humiliation and death itself for the sins of humankind so that we could experience life both today and for eternity, and participate in God's ongoing mission of bringing his kingdom to earth. Around the room, uh, there are three communion stations, one on either side of the stage here, and also one in the back to my right, your left. And, uh, and the elements that are on that, those tables, they are symbols of Jesus' sacrificial love. That the bread represents Jesus' body, <clears throat> And the wine or juice represents his blood, which was poured out for us. And so as the band leads us this morning, and whenever you're ready, 
You're welcome to make your way to one of the communion stations, get the elements in whatever form you prefer, and then return to your seat. And after you've returned to your seat, you're welcome to partake of the elements individually whenever you're ready. May we do this in remembrance of him this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful this morning for the gift of scripture, for the, uh, for the living and active word through which you reveal yourself to us, through which you have revealed yourself to us, through which you continue to reveal yourself to us through your spirit. And we thank you, Father, for all of the gifts that you have for us in the scriptures. Thank you, Father, for the reminder this morning of the very simple importance of showing up. And God, for the ways that when we gather together with others, when we gather together with you, uh, Father, you do your redemptive, restorative, sometimes resurrecting work uh, in ways that we would never imagine. Father, I ask that uh, you would, through your spirit, remind us in those moments of weakness of the importance of showing up. Father, that we would do that uh, not just for ourselves, but there are elements of that, God, that, uh, that we do for others as well, that we might have eyes that are wide open to all the things that you have for us when we, when we press through and walk with you. And Father, we're eternally grateful this morning in the truest sense for your son Jesus and for all of the ways that he showed up on our behalf. Thank you for the gift of his sacrificial love on the cross that we honor this morning. As we take these elements, Father, uh, may we remember the forgiveness of sin that we've experienced. May we remember the life that we have with you both today and for eternity. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.